Welcome to the Be Perfectly Healthy podcast, an integrative health podcast by Center for New Medicine. We created the Be Perfectly Healthy podcast as an extension of our mission to educate and empower individuals along their health journey. This integrative health podcast will bring you in-depth expert interviews on a plethora of health topics. Tune in bi-weekly for interviews on how to create a non-toxic lifestyle, integrative approaches to treating complex health concerns like diabetes, Lyme's, Hashimoto's, Crohn's, adrenal fatigue, mental, emotional, and spiritual health, cancer prevention, early cancer detection, integrative cancer treatments, and so much more. Through the Be Perfectly Healthy podcast, we hope to provide cutting-edge, science-based information you can use to create a happier and healthier life for you and your loved ones. Welcome back to the Be Perfectly Healthy podcast. I'm your host, Leanne Lindsay, and today we have a first-time guest on the show, Dr. Brittany Patak. She has actually been at the center since January 2021, shadowing Dr. Keneally for most of the year now, and just a few weeks ago started seeing patients. So we are so excited to have her on the show, get a little bit of an introduction to her as well as diving into the topic of today's episode specifically is reversing, preventing Alzheimer's with the Bredesen protocol. This is something that Dr. Patak has been training in and is so excited to be able to share with patients. So we talk about what is the Bredesen protocol, we discuss some of the different contributing factors that really need to be looked at when it comes to addressing Alzheimer's disease and or preventing it. Things like chronic infections, heavy metals, mold, candida, insulin resistance, and so much more. And then we briefly touch on some of the different areas that the Bredesen protocol takes into account. Lifestyle, nutrition, sleep, exercise. But we definitely are going to be doing some follow-up episodes on this because it's such a big topic that we are probably going to break it down into a few different episodes to really dive into this much, much deeper. So with that, please enjoy this interview with Dr. Patak. Well, Dr. Patak, welcome to the Be Perfectly Healthy podcast. Thank you for having me. So it's tradition that first time on the show, you have to spill your deepest, darkest secrets. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Give us a little bit of your background. Have you always been interested in medicine? Have you always been interested in integrative medicine? If not, what kind of brought you into the world of integrative medicine? What are some of your specialties, et cetera, et cetera? Sure. So uh, I'd say I've always been interested in biology and medicine. My uh, background's in biology. I've been studying it. I mean, I paid particular attention since middle school when they started teaching it. And then I chose to major in it in college and everything. So that's always been really important to me. And then I would say that natural medicine has been important to my family since I was really young. My mom, she always tried to incorporate whole body healing approaches whenever we got something as simple as a cold the nutrition was always dialed in Um, we got our regular doctor checkups but she also made sure that we were learning how to eat and exercise and reduce our stress and sleep Mm. and so 
when I had my own health challenges come up in high school, I had a thyroid uh, issue come up. It was a holistic approach where I incorporated stress reduction, changing certain aspects of my diet and uh, looking into acupuncture. It was those things that really helped me. And I ultimately didn't need the surgery that I'd been recommended by three different endocrinologists. And so that was really powerful to me. And I carried that experience with me through college. And I was pre-med at the time. And I, I w- something about going um, a more conventional route, I just hesitated because I knew that I, I would be learning how to heal people, very important, but I wouldn't be getting the holistic training that mm-hmm. I knew that I wanted mm-hmm. based on my previous experience. So when I learned about naturopathic medicine um, and I went to Bastyr University in San Diego, that was the perfect, the perfect fit for me. Right off the bat, you're learning ancient healing traditions, hydrotherapy, how to heal with water and herbal, traditional herbal medicine, etc. incorporating diet into every treatment plan. So that is what I did. <laughs> I love it. And you've been here at the center for a few months now? Yeah, so I've been shadowing Dr. Keneally since January of okay. the beginning of 2021. And I graduated from school, took my licensing exam, and started seeing patients only just a few weeks ago. But I've been fortunate enough to shadow Dr. Keneally since January. So I've been learning the ins and outs of this place, of which there are many. That's like going to school all over again, (laughs) (laughs) shadowing her. You get so much information. Uh So we were talking, though, about how you've also been working through training of a specific protocol called the Bredesen Protocol, Mm -hmm. which is focusing on brain health. And that's really gonna be the topic of today's discussion. Can you give us a little bit of an overview of this? And then we're gonna kind of dive into it, pick it apart a little bit more. What is the Bredesen Protocol? So the Bredesen Protocol is based off the work of Dr. Dale Bredesen. He's an internationally recognized expert in the mechanisms of neurodegenerative disease. So trying to understand why things like Alzheimer's disease happen. Because when you understand why it happens, you can understand how to unravel that and turn the cruise ship around Mm -hmm. and hopefully um, improve and recover from that. And especially, it's especially powerful if you do it, you catch it early. Mm -hmm. So he has 30 years of laboratory research experience, hundreds of uh, peer reviewed articles in his name. He wrote a book called The End of Alzheimer's Book, which I highly recommend if you want to get a good overview of the protocol. And I've undergone training on the Apollo Health website. It trains uh, doctors, health coaches, exercise physiologists, anyone who wants to help this population. There's Mm -hmm. a specific training for you so that you can meet the needs of that person from your your, um, respective license or mm-hmm. you know approach style and the protocol focuses on the top 36 most salient contributors to alzheimer's disease whether it's um, metabolic issues like insulin insensitivity and and uh, diabetes or poor nutrient status lack of trophic support trophic means a factor or a signal to the body that stimulates building or growth so when we, have, when we don't have those growth factors, like different hormones, then we can lose neurons and synapses in our brains. Um, 
Other factors include exposure to viruses, having chronic viruses, and all of these inflammatory things lead to downsizing of the brain. And actually, when you do MRIs of people with Alzheimer's disease, you find that there's atrophy hmm. or shrinking in certain areas of the brain. So it's all about identifying those factors, turning them around, and then adding in trophic factors that lead to the rebuilding mm -hmm. and growth. Can you touch on, I know we're going to dive into a few of these a little bit deeper, but can mm -hmm. you give us that kind of the broad overview of what under the Bredesen protocol are some of the contributing factors to Alzheimer's? And I wanted to ask, is it really focusing just on Alzheimer's, the Bredesen protocol? So it's, I think that the, um, the approach applies to all neurological okay. degenerative diseases. Alzheimer's is the most common. Mm -hmm. So that's what it focuses Where it on. Gets applied most. Um, but it's important to note that Alzheimer's is a progression. It's a chronic disease. And you can actually find evidence of Alzheimer's pathology in the spinal cords of people 20 years before they're ever diagnosed. Wow. And so that's, that's just a call to our young people to start paying attention to their cognition and their brain function and then start screening early mm -hmm. so that that can be found. Um, specifically, the progression is from subjective cognitive impairment where you start to notice, oh, I'm not thinking as fast as I used to or I'm starting to mix up names of things. And then that progresses to mild or moderate cognitive impairment, and that's when other people start to notice. Hmm. And then that progresses to Alzheimer's dementia, where other people are noticing, you notice, and it's starting to impact your ability to take care of yourself. Hmm. So uh, in terms of the causes, which you asked about, I think the, the, the biggest one that most people are familiar with is insulin insensitivity and having high blood sugar. In fact, uh, Alzheimer's disease has been called type 3 diabetes by uh, several people. And there are a few mechanisms of that. One, having high glucose in our bloodstream is inflammatory. And the glucose in high abundance, it can get stuck to proteins and lipids in our vasculature, which affects our blood flow. It contributes to plaque formation in our arteries and veins. And that... Um, oxidized state prevents the vasculature from producing nitric oxide, which causes our blood vessels to dilate appropriately in response to our changing blood pressure. And when we lose that ability, that plasticity of our vasculature, we can't control our blood, our blood pressure, and we're not able to deliver oxygen through our blood to mm. our brain and our muscles and our body for proper function. So the high glucose in itself is problematic. Mm -hmm. Then there's the insulin piece. When we have glucose in our blood, our pancreas secretes insulin, which is a signal to our cells to take the glucose out of the blood and use it. The problem when we have chronically high glucose is that our body stops paying attention to the insulin. And so now our insulin levels are going up and we're not absorbing the glucose despite that signal going higher. Mm -hmm. And insulin is a factor in our brain that contributes to amyloid uh, beta deposition, which is a protein that builds up in our brain in Alzheimer's disease that's inflammatory. Mm -hmm. So when we've got high insulin, we're getting more amyloid beta deposition, more inflammation. Mm -hmm. So you've got the glucose piece and the insulin piece. 
I love it. And so I'm wondering, and I think we'll probably get into this a little bit later then, but is part of this protocol like a low sugar diet or something Mm -hmm. along those lines? Yeah, spot on. Um, The foundations of the Bredesen protocol focus on diet, exercise, stress reduction, and sleep. Okay. With diet being the Keto Flex 12-3. Okay. So uh, that entails a ketogenic diet with the goal not being to always be in extreme ketosis, but to improve our metabolic flexibility Mm -hmm. and to be more dynamic and to be able to use ketones over sugar uh, more often. Mm -hmm. And it's a focus on really good quality vegetables, um, balanced diet, et cetera. And then the exercise, stress, and sleep are big as well. And then that's when you start to layer, once those foundations are set, you can layer on top all the therapies for the other contributors. And you can introduce higher level brain stimulation with red light therapy, for example, which we offer here at the center to just further promote a building environment for the Mm -hmm. brain. Yeah, I think to to add on to what you were saying there, we have this Bredesen protocol, which is saying, as you mentioned, we're going to address nutrition, we're going to address exercise, stress and sleep as kind of a core. But then if we've discovered through testing that you have some of these other contributing factors like the insulin, the glucose, the um, some of the other ones we were talking about earlier were mold, viruses, candida, things like that, then we're going to add some other treatments on to start addressing those. Mm -hmm. That's right. And I think that is one of the hardest parts of the protocol is that people see the most benefit when they incorporate all of the changes, more of the changes together. And so it can be a huge shakeup in someone's lifestyle, asking them to change everything from how they're living to life, their life to the, um, what they're taking in, in terms of supplements, what they're, lifestyle is Mm -hmm. when they go to bed so it can really be a wake-up call but you're ultimately going to be happier and healthier Mm -hmm. and be able to leave a better impression for your family yeah it's interesting because I do think Alzheimer's is one of the diseases that in a way not completely but in a way is comparable to what we see often here with our cancer patients which is they're extremely scared to be facing this certain diagnosis Maybe for them, Alzheimer's doesn't mean you're going to pass away in six months or a year, but it can be incredibly frightening. I'm sure that they have been faced with a huge lack of information, especially from conventional doctors who are just saying, well, here's your diagnosis. Have a good life. And so there's a ton of fear involved and they probably have family members telling them, no, you should do this, do this, do this. So, but... I completely agree with you that when we can look at the body as a whole and go, the brain is not an acute part of the body disconnected from everything else. It is absolutely integrated. And when we can start to address the different facets of this, we're going to see real progress. Mm -hmm. But I think it's so tricky because there can be so many different facets. Mm -hmm. There can be, we could have chronic infections going on on top of insulin sensitivity or insulin resistance on top of mold infection, you know, so many different things. So I think an interesting question, and maybe do they talk about this in the protocol? What is like a time frame that someone might expect coming in? And I know we can never give a specific treatment period, but 
I think it's helpful because sometimes people come in and they're like, great, give me a one month protocol and I'm going to be good to go. Yeah, there's a few things at play there. Um, the first one being, and I mentioned earlier, it's like turning around a cruise ship. This this pathology has, like I said, 20 years of buildup. There's a momentum there and a trajectory. So it's about slowing that down and then ultimately, and in that to slow it down, you have to change the foundations of the diet, exercise, stress, sleep. And that takes months itself mm-hmm. to fully implement and learn the ins and out of. And what is it? What does being in ketosis mean? How do you measure that? Uh, I need to do a sleep study to check and see if I have sleep apnea. That takes time. So once the, the protocol is fully integrated, it takes maybe three to six months to start noticing a change in the trajectory, mm-hmm. usually, especially in, um, well, it can take three to six months to see an improvement even longer if, depending on if you're farther down mm-hmm. in the Alzheimer's spectrum. So it's not to give people false hope, it's just meant to say that it's a whole lifestyle change. Mm-hmm. And then the therapies themselves take time to take effect. And it points to an important part of understanding the pathology. We have to understand what our neurons are responding to. So our brain is either gonna be in a building environment or a breakdown environment. We've got 86 billion neurons in our brain and each one is connected to at least a thousand other neurons, sometimes 40,000. That's a tremendous amount of connections. And a neuron depends on receiving feedback from its connections as a signal to stay alive and to continue functioning. So if we stop providing that signal, then the neuron loses its connections Hmm. and stops functioning. So making sure that we're exercising our brain is very important. There's other things besides getting that positive signal from the surrounding neurons that contributes to a neuron's health. And there are building factors and breakdown factors. And the coined phrase is synaptoblastic, synapto for synapse, blastic for building, and synaptoclastic, clastic for breakdown. Things that are synaptoblastic are sleep, having adequate trophic factors, the building blocks, like I said before, like having our ha- having adequate thyroid hormone and estrogen and other hormones, and also having enough nutrients to keep that neuron alive and functioning properly. Things that are synaptoclastic are things like high inflammation, toxins themselves, the chronic infections. Mm. So when a neuron is, I mean, the neuron doesn't have an awareness, obviously, (laughs) but um, the neuron is always assessing the amount of blastic and clastic input it's getting. And if if it's got more clastic or breakdown signals, then to protect itself, it's going to lose its connections and and stop functioning. Mm. So what needs to happen is we need to get the person feeling better. We need to get their lifestyle improved. And then ultimately, we need the blastic factors to outweigh the breakdown factors Mm -hmm. so that we're not losing more neurons and ultimately we can be building new connections. Mm -hmm. 
So that takes time. Yeah. I have so many questions coming up. I'll start with, because we didn't address this, from a conventional standpoint, as far as you're aware, what does the treatment of Alzheimer's look like? Is there, does something even exist in the world of conventional medicine? There are medications that attempt to... Slow the progress? Some try to slow the progress. Some try to just bolster the function of what we have left, like acetylcholinesterase inhibitors. Those increase the amount of neurotransmitter that we have in our synapses to uh, make a stronger signal so that even if we have less neurons, we've got more of that neurotransmitter in play Mm -hmm. so that we're getting more brain stimulation. Things like that aren't addressing the root cause. So uh, they're not addressing reversing anything. Mm -hmm. Some therapies are being developed to address the amyloid beta and tau protein deposition. Um, But it's important to note that amyloid beta actually has a function. And if you remove it without addressing the root cause, sometimes you can cause more damage Mm -hmm. than good. And um, what happens with the amyloid is it's inflammatory, as we mentioned, and it accumulates and it blocks functions. But if you've got a chronic infection, you need, and that's what, that's the tool of our immune system to fight infection is inflammation. Mm. So theoretically it can have some protective benefit and they find that removing the amyloid doesn't always help people. So it's about removing the causes. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, exactly. And it's sort of like the body has built up this plaque for a reason. Mm -hmm. It didn't just magically show up one day, which is sort of when we're when we're treating just the plaque, that's sort of the theory that's going behind it. Is that, oh, too bad, I guess this plaque just showed up one day, we don't know why, let's just clear it out. Versus looking at the body as an intelligent being Mm -hmm. that does everything with intention. Mm -hmm. The other question that I wanted to ask was, in the Bredesen protocol specifically, does he address different ways of testing for Alzheimer's and are these ways different than the conventional ways of testing or maybe they're the same? That's a good question. So uh, as it is now, the tests that we have aren't sensitive, sensitive enough to pick it up super early. Mm-hmm. So there's formal neurocognitive testing where you go in with a professional and it's a long hour, long, several hour long process of them identifying if you've got any cognitive deficits and it can be very taxing on the individual and it's usually positive after you've gone down the line and developed more of a pathology. So it's hard to find it early enough. Other things like um, brain imaging to look for glucose uptake, uptake in the brain, MRIs, things like that can tell you if there's been degeneration, but at that point you're already have developed Mm -hmm. some disease there. So um, in terms of identifying cognitive impairment, a commonly used test is called CNS Vital Signs, and it's an online neurocognitive test that tests things like your reaction time, your composite memory, your um, processing speed to tell, and it's highly sensitive. Mm. They use it to track uh, concussions in athletes, um, it'll detect any impairment, you know. Is that, first of all, can you say the name again, just so the mm-hmm. listeners get it? And I'll try and find some info on it to link to. 
the name of the test? Sure, it's CNS Vital Signs VS. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. CNS Vital Signs. I don't think that's what we do here. We do something here. Dr. Bales does. Do you know what I'm referring to? Yeah. I'm forgetting the name. (laughs) I've heard about it, what Dr. Bales does before. I haven't fully um, been fully briefed on what that entails or or what it detects. Oh, I need to look it up. Um, It's it's some kind of cognitive test. I actually have done Mm -hmm. it with him because I've had multiple concussions, but I love that. I'm going to look up that vital test too. So Mm -hmm. question then, is that something that you have to be referred to do by a doctor or a, you know, an audience member could look that test up and go do it themselves right now. I think there are ways to find it. If you enroll yourself in the Apollo Health Bredesen, um, there's a subscription. And as part of your subscription for optimizing your brain health and getting paired with a practitioner, you can do the CNS vital signs tests regularly okay. to see how that goes. We also um, offer it here to our patients. Okay. Uh, and one of the things we keep circling back to is the early detection. Mm-hmm. And so if you've got questions about your cognitive health, you've noticed you're not as sharp as you used to be, or you turn 45 and that's 20 years before the average age of diagnosis for Alzheimer's, it might be time to just do a check-in and see how you're doing. Yeah, one of the things I say so often is that we have these yearly checkups we're supposed to do, right? And I just, I laugh at them, I don't even do them anymore. Because, you know, with a conventional practitioner, you walk in, they take your temperature, they, they weigh you, they tap on your knees, and then they send you home. And we haven't really looked at anything that's actually important, like our brain health, like, for example, our circulating tumor cells, if anything is popping up, all the things that are preventative. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it would just behoove us to do some kind of cognitive test, maybe not every year, but every five years just to have that kind of check-in. Yeah, and it's different if you've got risk factors. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe you know you have the ApoE4 allele, which we can get into if you want to. Um, but the the phrase that the Bredesen practitioners use is cognoscopy. It's time for your cognoscopy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that includes the CNS vital sign testing as well as comprehensive blood and urine tests that look for inflammation, glucose toxicity and insulin resistance, our methylation and detox channels, making sure that those are fully functioning, our nutrition, our hormones, toxins, lipids. So Mm -hmm. it's quite comprehensive and it's not so different than what any integrative practitioner is already doing for their patients Mm -hmm. somewhat regularly. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just adding in the cognition lens. Yeah. Well, yeah, I would love to dive into, was it a gene that you were mentioning? Yeah, the ApoE4. So that's the um, most common, most commonly known or well-known risk factor, genetic risk factor for Alzheimer's disease. Okay. Uh, ApoE4 is um, an apolipoprotein, which is a protein that combines with lipids and fats and cholesterol in our blood to form lipoproteins, which ultimately their goal is to transport cholesterol and fat. Mm-hmm. That's what it does. Um, there's different alleles of ApoE, with four being the risk factor for Alzheimer's, and then there's also two and three, and there may be more. Um, when you've got, so this is the kind of genetic thing where, that you inherit from your parents, one from your biological mother and one from your biological father, and having one confers some risk, mm-hmm. and having two, both from your mother and your father, has an even increased risk. Um, 
But just like we talked about with the amyloid being protective, there is a reason for ApoE4. Mm -hmm. It is more inflammatory, which makes us better at fighting pathogens. And it also leads to the greater absorption of cholesterol and fat. So, so in times when our nutrient-dense food is scarce, having higher cholesterol and fat intake from our food is actually protective because mm-hmm. you're absorbing more nutrients. Mm-hmm. So ApoE4 is not the whole story. Right. And is it, you know, is it one of those things where, for example, I might have the gene that makes me more predisposed to breast cancer, but of course, when we're talking about epigenetics, that's when our lifestyle is really dictating much more whether that gene is getting turned on or not. Is it a similar thing? I think it's similar in that there's a lot at play and there's other genes that aren't frequently tested for and ApoE4 is not even frequently tested for, but there are other genes that actually can totally eliminate the risk that ApoE4 presents because all of our genes are interacting. Mm -hmm. It's like a symphony. Mm -hmm. So um, there are DNA tests you can do to look at ApoE4 amongst other cognition-specific genes Mm -hmm. to look at your total risk. And then the benefit is there are things you can do to mitigate that. If ApoE4 is inflammatory, you need to make, and you you have higher intake of cholesterol and fats, then you in particular need to watch your cholesterol and, and lipid levels more than someone who doesn't have that. And you might need to focus on inflammation more than someone who doesn't have ApoE4. So it can be scary, but it also gives us information and we know how to tailor our treatment and prevention protocols. Yeah, and it's not a sentencing of, well, you have this gene, so this is for sure going to happen. It's meant to help us be more aware and preventative with our own bio-individuality. So mm-hmm. I, I do actually have the ATM gene, which makes you more susceptible to getting breast cancer runs in my family, but having that knowledge doesn't make me live in fear every single day. It makes me go, okay, I need to maybe have checkups more regularly. I need to be on top of my RGCC testing more regularly so that I need to be on top of my inflammation, my diet, you know, all the things. And if anything, it makes me feel so much more empowered with the decisions that I'm going to make with my health. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, whether or not you have that gene you're going to be living a healthier lifestyle, which down the road, you're going to fare better. Right. So not just with whatever the disease might be particularly. Right. So whatever your motivation is for adopting these lifestyle changes, you'll do better. Yeah, exactly. Well, Dr. Patak, thank you so much for coming on. We're so excited. Even though you've been here for a while now, it's so fun to have you on the show. I'm sure we'll have you on many, many more times. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah.